Uh, hey guys, uh, so we recorded this episode before the passing of Eugene Milnick. We are both saddened by this news and are thinking of his friends and family at this time. We will talk more in depth as we know more information for next week's episode. But yeah, enjoy this episode um, in the meantime. A lot of stuff is happening in the hockey world right now. For stars, the NCAA Frozen Four is taking place. Uh, we'll talk about that right off the top. And then we get to the fun stuff. All the trades that happen on deadline day, including one that got voided by the NHL. Episode 313 of the Lace Mop Podcast starts right now. And now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And if uh, you're a fan of college hockey, you're in for a treat for this year's Frozen Four, aren't we, Brett? Yeah, it should be uh, definitely a pretty exciting um, uh, final Frozen Four. Um, I think it's in two weeks, but um, I've actually been watching more of these games, as Steve knows, because I keep on emailing him <laughs> on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, the Frozen Four. It's going to be Minnesota versus Mich- Minnesota State, and then on the other bracket or the other side matchup is going to be Michigan and Denver. Um, it's kind of cool that you have Minnesota and Minnesota State playing against each other since, you know, they're the Minnesota track. Um, so, so that should be fun to watch, especially since Minnesota State's, like, the thing with Minnesota State, or I've gotten the sense of, is that they're a really good team, but they're in a bad conference. Um, and uh, so they've been playing against, like, a lot of weaker opponents. So it should be interesting to see like how they match up against uh, a pretty good team in Minnesota um, who won the Big Ten um, that I just looked at. So um, it should be a, it should be a fun matchup from that that standpoint. And then of course you have Michigan, which is a stacked team. It has pretty much every, like they pretty much have their entire roster is just pretty much uh, draft prospects. Um, so. Um, so it, or just like high, high top 10 caliber players. So, um, so it, I, Michigan should be pretty good or should be Denver, but at the same time, Denver has looked pretty good too. So, um, I'm excited to see that. I think the, the next time we have a couple more days before the frozen four actually starts. I think it's on April 7th. So we have some time. Uh, which I believe yeah, the is, semis yeah. are April 7th, and then the big game is April the 9th. So right. by the time it gets to the April 10th episode, we'll know who won. Right, right. So, um, but we probably... Oh, yeah, I guess that it's April... Oh, yeah, yeah, so April 10th is on a Sunday, yeah. So, um, yeah, April 10th is a Sunday. Yeah, so we'll, we'll be... We'll give you your stuff, but yeah, I guess... Um, you guys want to watch? I don't know. Do they have like? Did they show the college hockey at in Canada or is it? I think you, I think you might have to get it online. Okay. Um, I it would be nice, honestly, if Sportsnet, um, which uh, owns the NHL rights, um, if they could uh, somehow um, display that. Um, 
because there's there's one guy and and Brett uh, knows this uh, yep. in the email chats. So occasionally bring up his name, try yep. McKay, the goaltender from Minnesota State. And I know people say Minnesota State's in a weaker conference. If you have seen the ungodly numbers that Dryden McKay has put up, which I'm sure if he put it, uh, I'm sure if he was in another conference, he still would have put up pretty good numbers. The dude has 10 shutouts for the third straight year. It doesn't say in elite prospects. It says he only has two. I checked his hockey DB. It says he has 10 this year, and he's won 37 games. Yeah, he's like, the dude is an absolute animal, and if they come out with a win against Minnesota and win the whole thing. I think a lot of NHL teams are going to take notice and sign this kid because shockingly he hasn't been drafted and he's currently unsigned. Well, I think it's because he's, he's actually a pretty short, a goaltender. Um, let me just, I, I think that was a reason why he I think wasn't. He's, I think he's six foot. Oh yeah, he's six feet. Oh okay, never mind. I thought he was. Which which isn't like terribly yeah. small, but yeah, I mean it's not like Ben Bishop. Big. <laughs> ben Bishop is like six 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 seven. Yeah yeah no, you're right. I thought he was like I thought he was like a Dustin Wolf type player, but yeah you're right. Uh, so six feet isn't that bad. He's also um, twenty four years old, uh, which I didn't realize that. Um, so like just for reference, uh, most college. I I'm just speaking to all the Canadians here. Um, college, or I mean, I'm sure it's probably the same in, in Canada too, but usually college uh, students are like 18 years old to 22 years old. So if the fact that he's 24 years old is like um, he's two years older than a, he's not your normal senior. Uh, so like, yeah, just just being 24, it's, it's kind of crazy. So I am curious to see, like I, I would assume a team will, will sign him. Because uh, he's, you know, because goalies are so, um, like, you know, you never know with any of these goalies. So I'm sure a team will sign him somewhere. But, um, but yeah, I'd be curious to see what he's able to do in the AHL. Um, because, like, it's, it's really, he's truly a wild card, for sure. It should also be noted uh, for the University of Minnesota, their goaltender, um, they had Jack LaFontaine, who uh, right. has put up some pretty good numbers over the past couple of years. He turned pro with the Hurricanes. Uh, so Justin Close is actually their goaltender right now. And in the 19 games that he's played uh, this season, he's actually looked pretty decent. 1.93 goals against, 925 save percentage, 13-4-0 record. And in this tournament, he's also looked pretty good. So it should be quite the goaltending battle between McKay and, uh, and yeah. Justin Close and Nets. So um, interested to see who wins that battle. Yeah, it should be it should be fun. Um, all right, so I actually this is a good segue. Uh, so Minnesota, uh, they're they're the two like they have Minnesota State and Minnesota in the finals, but. Their pro team actually made a couple of trades that we're going to start the show off with. Yeah. Uh, the first one... Oh, wait, actually... Oh, damn it. Because we're actually leading into data now first. No, no, no. We, we don't botch the segue. We can get yeah. to the data now later. Let's continue okay. with the segue. Continue <laughs> with the segue. All it's right. bigger anyway. We'll do the... Yeah, that, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, we'll do, we'll do data now after the two minutes of trade. Sure. I just, I, just I, I botched. Damn it. We'll damn tackle it. the dad knob non trade after we talk about the two yeah, trades. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, now I botched this segue because I. It's too late now. Keep going. Keep going. All right. So, anyways, uh, so be, the, the pro teams made a couple of trades. 
Um, yes. Which is what it leads into our main topic here of all the trade deadline stuff that we uh, missed um, and that happened on Monday. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is going to Minnesota, um, finally, um, and Chicago, all the Chicago gets is a 2022 second round pick. Um, it's a conditional pick where, uh, it upgrades to a 2022 first if Minnesota reaches the West Conference final and Fleury has at least four wins in the first two rounds. Um... And uh, oh, and also uh, the uh, Chicago retained fifty uh, percent of it, which I guess isn't a huge deal since this is just, you know he's just a rental for now. Um, but um, but anyways, yeah, I was just looking at his stats and what he was able to do in Chicago for that one season. Uh, not not totally impressive. Uh, nine nine oh eight a save percentage and a two point nine five GAA. I mean, that's decent, but, you know, I, I guess it's, like, compared to all, like, the previous year where he wins Vezina, um, it's not as good. Um, but then, uh, yeah, he, he did go, the beautiful thing of doing these trades during, um, like, a week after they happen is that we get to see what they, what they were like when, in their first couple of games. Uh, so he did play in Minnesota, uh, uh, for what, or he did start in one game, um, and he won that one, and he only gave up two goals. Um, so, uh, so yeah, he has a nine twenty. Of course, it's a small sample size, so so far so good. But uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I yeah, I think it's interesting too because I think Minnesota was like sliding before the deadline. Um, they were just losing a lot of games and things like that. So I feel like, uh, yeah, maybe, who knows how consistent Marc-Andre Fleury can be. Um, but, of course, I think they would rather have the Marc-Andre Fleury that's in Vegas versus the Marc-Andre Fleury in Chicago. I would lean more towards the Marc-Andre Fleury that's in Vegas just because, like, Minnesota's defense is a lot better. Um, and that can certainly help a goalie out. Um, so I, I think... I think this is a good spot for him, um, and yeah, we'll see what 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 happens. Um, what's interesting too is like they also have Cam Talbot in the mix too. So yeah, I'm wondering how they like. I guess it's not a big deal if they do like have like a goalie tandem like that, but um, but yeah, I, I I wonder how they're going to uh, work that out. See, the whole thing about Marc-Andre Fleury's numbers in Chicago is that rough start absolutely screwed with him as much as it did with anyone else. His Chicago Blackhawks debut, it happens against the Avs, and it's uh, four goals against on 36 shots. Uh, that's expected. Um, the, the Avalanche are going to win that game with, call, uh, with uh, Chicago's defense the way it is now. Uh, then the next game, he gets yanked after four goals on 10 shots, then four goals on 29 shots against the Islanders. Again, another loss. Then he, then a loss to Detroit, six goals against on 37 shots. Um, he's very, very good against the Blues. Only one goal against on 37 shots. But because it's Chicago, they somehow lose that game in regulation and got nothing out of it. So he loses his first five starts. Then he finally gets the win against Ottawa, stops 29 of 30 in that. But then four goals on 32 shots against Carolina, five goals on 33 shots against Winnipeg, both losses. 
And then he starts to get on a hot streak because the Hawks are suddenly not bad. Um, after that coaching change, they, they go from Jeremy Colleton uh, to, to their current coach, um, Derek King. I, I want correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Derek King is their coach. Yeah. Um, and then in the four games that followed that loss to Winnipeg on November 5th, here were his stats. 42 of 44 shots stopped. 22 of 23 shots stopped. 31 of 33 shots stopped. All 40 shots stopped. All four of those games were wins. And he continued that impressive pace. Uh, there were a couple of 40-plus wins in there as well. So... Outside of that first eight or nine game stretch for Chicago, Mark Andre Fleury's numbers with the Hawks are better than a lot of people expected. And even then, with the 908 save percentage, despite that rocky start, you can kind of see where the problem lies. Mark Andre Fleury is not the problem. He has enough gas left in the tank for a playoff run or two. Uh, depends on what he wants to do beyond this year. He's won three Stanley Cups. I don't think he really has to prove anything. If he wants to retire for family reasons, uh, he has every reason to um, because um, he's given everything he's had to the NHL. He's top five in wins. How how could you not respect what Fleury has done in the time that he's been here? And I I said it before in the podcast. He can help a playoff contender out, and he does exactly that. And you know what helps him make the saves is facing less shots. And guess what? Minnesota, you know, they're prone to give up 40-plus shots in a game. There have been times where Cam Talbot has been forced to stand on his head, but he's been able to make do. But they're more likely to control the shot attempts against than Chicago is. You look at a shutdown defenseman in U.S. Brodeen. You look at a complete defenseman. And Jared Spurgeon, they also have Matt Dumba in the mix, along with a lot of other guys that uh, really pitch in and and help make the goalie's job easier. So you couple Fleury's run over the past couple of months with Chicago with Minnesota's defense, this is exactly what they need. They need a stable presence behind Cam Talbot for the playoffs, a presence that, you know what, maybe gets the majority of the starts and Cam Talbot doesn't because Cam Talbot at times has shown a, a little bit of rust and it's and it's cost his team. But the one thing about the Minnesota Wild is they're a resilient bunch. They might be down 2 nothing or 3 nothing to start a game, but they'll claw their way back, make a game out of it. And they also have Kirill Kaprizov who can turn any game on its head and get the Wild two points. So this is a good trade for Minnesota. The big obstacle that Minnesota had was Chicago's asking price. Chicago was hesitant, uh, was... Um, not hesitating. They were insisting, we want a first-round pick for Marc-Andre Fleury. And Bill Guerin was like, eh, Chief, I don't really I don't really know about that. So they ended up with a compromise where that conditional second could turn into a first-round pick. And in all likelihood, that's probably going to be in the 20 to 32 range. So I guess Minnesota can sort of live with that. I can also confirm that Marc-Andre Fleury uh, nixed a deal to the Capitals because... He, it, it wouldn't sit well with him being on the other side of the Penns Caps rivalry. So if you're wondering Fleury's loyalty to the Penguins, it's still pretty strong because yeah. he didn't want to go to the Capitals and he chose Minnesota instead. And that's the power of the no trade clause. And I think Fleury has earned that right to pick and choose where he goes. Um, Minnesota is closer to Chicago than a lot of the other landing spots. So for 
the sake of being close to his family, that's why he went down the Minnesota route. I don't know if Minnesota has the best chance to win the Stanley Cup, but uh, their odds definitely increase with this trade. Yeah, I yeah no, that's a good point. I think it it certainly helps them um, for sure at this point. But you know, I guess there is still like a question mark of and of like how good Fleury can be down this stretch. But at the same time, he has a proven track record. He's already gotten uh, two cups and been to the finals a few times more. So I, he definitely has the pedigree. Um, and he was the best goaltender free like rental out there. So I totally understand it from that standpoint. Um, and right now, Minnesota is second in the Central. Uh, and they're four points from Nashville who's the third in the central. So odds are that it seems like Minnesota will be able to keep that second spot, um, considering they had two games uh, um, in hand from Nashville. Um, so uh, yeah, I think I think Flurry could definitely help them out. And I feel like uh, Cam Talbot's been a little bit inconsistent all like, just like every year, uh, he's just an inconsistent goalie. Um, so, so yeah, it's definitely good to have another goalie in the mix uh, just to see what's going on um and then that takes me to the next trade because because they didn't trade end up trading uh cam talbot um or you know because they and they ended up getting a trade to get mark andre Fleury. that means that cabo kakinen was uh was traded uh to another team and he goes to the san jose sharks um which, um, so the Sharks also get a 2022 fifth round pick, um, and the Minnesota Wild get Jacob Middleton. Uh, we'll, we'll start off with, uh, what the Shark, what Kapo Kakinen means to the Sharks. Um, but yeah, this was kind of surprising because I thought, like, it was a few years ago when we thought that Kakinen was going to be the, the future of the Minnesota Wild, um, in terms of goal, goaltending, but, um, yeah, he, I mean, and he had a kind of a decent run. He had a, like a, I guess his rookie year, he had a 913 uh, save percentage, although it was five games. And then the next year he had a 902 save percentage. Um, it's a, it says apparently 15, he was 15th in Calder uh, and a 2.88 GAA um, in 24 games. Um, then the following year, or, or this year, he has a 910 save percentage. Um, with a 2.87 for Minnesota uh, GAA, but then uh, he does play for San Jose, um, and he loses that match. Um, and uh, yeah, there's four G. Uh, he had a 4.01 GAA, so I guess he gave up four goals, and um, and his save percentage it was. It should be noted that he faced 40 shots in that game, so he stopped yeah. 36. And not to mention it was against Edmonton, so it's like uh, it's a pretty yeah. tough team to, to go against. Um, so, oh, so much you can do. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a like uh, you know the Sharks do have James Reimer now, but who knows how he's another goalie who uh, feels like he's always inconsistent. Um, and you know they also have Aiden Hill, who's not been so good uh, lately. So. Um, so yeah, this, this, and you know, there is like, oh, and they, uh, the Sharks also traded Alexei Melnichuk, um, who was going to be their goaltender of the future, but it doesn't feel like the Sharks really have any goaltender that's worth keeping around. So 
So I, I guess this is a good opportunity for Kakanen to see what he's made of, um, and, and you know, maybe they, they keep James Reimer around for a bit, uh, just to make sure that Kakanen actually knows what he's doing. But um, but yeah, I imagine that like if if Kakanen can really get going, then yeah, I think the Sharks do have their goalie of the future, and this this could definitely help. And he's he's only twenty five years old, which is the crazy thing. So it's like. Um, so yeah, there's there's that, um, and what what was also interesting, I guess, yeah, we'll we'll do the sharks first, and then, and um, yeah, we can talk about the wild. I was just about to get into the wild, but, um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely um, a good a good deal. Or I like I like this move for the sharks just to see what you can do when the season is basically lost. So. Um, yeah, what do you what do you think of it from the shark side of things? Well, it should also be noted uh, from from the sharks' uh, standpoint that uh, they also have Aiden Hill. So Kakinen, Hill, and Reimer as your three goalies is a uh, pretty interesting combo. So that should uh, fuel some interesting competition. Uh, they do have some goalies uh, in their system, but none I can really point to that say, yeah, I can see him being the number one stud eventually. We thought uh, it could be Melanchuk, but then uh, then like you said, he got moved. I don't. I, w- I wonder how good the Sharks fans realized they had it with Nabokov in net because right. they've gone through. Let's see. They had Antiniemi for a couple of years. There were some good times, but also some bad times. Same with Martin Jones after that. And now they're just trying to find somebody to be a reliable starter. And Reimer, I, I think, has shown signs of that, but I don't think he has the pedigree that um, that they're necessarily looking for. So they're hoping that one of Kapokak and Aiden Hill uh, can can help out in in that regard and and really emerge as their goalie of the future there. Um, In terms of uh, cap uh, salary exchange, um, both teams um, exchanged uh, the same contract. Basically, Kakanen makes $725,000. So does uh, Jacob Melton, who's going back to Minnesota. Um, We'll talk more about him in a little bit. Marc-Andre Fleury only cost him 50% to retain his salary, so they ended up moving some of Victor Rask's contract to Seattle to make up cap space uh, that way. So that's uh, if you're wondering how Minnesota was able to tidy things up on the cap front, that's how. Uh, in terms of the Minnesota Wilds and why they opted to deal Kapokakinen instead of sending him down to the minors, first of all, Jesper Wallstead. Yep. They have him in the system. I don't know if they trade Kapokakinen if they don't have Wolstead in the picture here. Because as much as I like Kakinen, there's a lot of hype with this Wolstead kid. Yep. And uh, I think in the long run, they see him potentially as uh, the future number one. So they're willing to take that gamble with Kakinen. Uh, I don't know, again, if they make that gamble if uh, they don't draft Wolstead 20th overall in last year's draft. Yep. Um, they also have Martin Jones in the system who could uh, turn into an NHL regular, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> he had some good numbers in Peterborough. He's, uh, oh, he's in their system now. Um, and in the meantime, they get Jacob Middleton, who's a good depth defenseman. He averaged like 19 to 20 minutes a game, which is pretty good for a depth defenseman uh, on the Sharks. Um, I don't know if he's going to get that ice time uh, with Minnesota, but... Definitely a guy you can plug in on the bottom pairing that can uh, eat up some effective minutes and uh, do a decent job. So um, yeah. I think uh, the Wilds, even though they trade away Kakinen, they still get something in this trade. Yeah, uh, yeah. The 
What was interesting, well, first off was that uh, Kakanen was left exposed in the Seattle expansion draft, which I guess makes sense mm-hmm. considering it's like you would rather keep uh, Cam Talbot, but I always thought that was a little strange just because it's like Kakanen is a good goaltender. It's just like, so you would rather keep like this inconsistent goaltender in Cam Talbot. Which is also yeah. interesting because yeah. uh, I think that happened before yeah. the draft where they got Wallstead, right? Yeah, it was. Um, but it was just like you would think though that maybe like if Minnesota was that unhappy about it or like Seattle didn't even pick uh, pick up uh, Kakanen, which I thought they would have, but they didn't. Um, so so that was interesting. And then like even just the fact that they drafted Wallstead in the first round is kind of like another sign of like oh like they, they, if they weren't if they were happy with Kakanen's progress, they probably wouldn't have even thought of drafting Wallstead because uh, you kind of like a Morazic yeah. situation in um, yeah 2017 with the Red Wings where he was left unprotected but Vegas didn't take him right 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 so um, so yeah there was that but like just the fact that like they even drafted Wallstead is just like okay so that means that Kekkonen's probably gone um, so yeah the writing was on the wall already in the middle time um, in the um, in the off season already, so yeah, I guess um, it's not. It shouldn't be too surprising. I'm also looking at Wallstead's stats right now. Uh, yeah, he has a, a 918 save percentage and a 1.98 in 22 games for uh, say, uh, for uh, Luella HF, which is an SHL team. So yeah, he, he's doing pretty well. I, I guess you could say. Um, and uh, so yeah, I, I think there was some. The writing was on the wall when they just uh, let him uh, expose him in the expansion draft. Um, of course, Wall said still a few years away, I would imagine, but um, there's like that's he should be pretty good for them uh, once he's here. Um, and yeah, the Jacob Middleton, uh, he was a uh, he was actually a decent player this this past year. Uh, he did get injured for a few games, so so maybe there was some effect. I, I did see some takes of like how he's uh, his, his pairing was with Eric Carlson um, this past season, and that was a big reason why Eric Carlson would had like this a bit of a bounce back. Of course, we're not getting prime Eric Carlson, but at least like a decent Eric Carlson back. And um, I think it's like it was interesting because Middleton was basically like a method 2.0. Um, where like because uh, Middleton was so good defensively that Eric Carlson could just do whatever he wanted offensively because then you, you know um, so which is what Mathot did um, and and now this is what Middleton does so um, and so I'll be curious to see if like maybe Eric Carlson goes back to not being so good for the Sharks uh, now that he doesn't have his buddy uh, Middleton anymore so yeah we'll, we'll see. And to that argument, you wonder, um, would you put him on a pairing with Matt Dumba or Jared Spurgeon? Right. Like, um, if I, I'm not sure where his slots in the yeah, left side, I'm right side, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where Melton slots in. And, right, yes. Um, what, so, what part of their defense they're trying to stabilize? So right now, well, first off, he's a left-handed defenseman, and right now they have him with uh, paired with Jared Spurgeon. So something to okay. watch out for. Um, okay, so uh, the the next trade that we're going to talk about was actually not a trade. 
<laughs> I guess we we kind of uh, foreshadowed it a little bit early on in this episode, but um, yeah. So so what uh, what was kind of crazy is if you even look at like the Vegas's uh, trade, uh, like you know their trade history on cap friendly. Uh, the last trade they made was Jack Eichel, um, and so they already made that big huge trade already. I guess that technically does count. Uh, but, um, but yeah, the, the big reason for that was, is that, uh, they have, uh, Mark Stone on LTIR, they have Max Pacioretty on LTIR, they have Robin Leonard back on LTIR, they also have Brady McNabb there, um, and then you have, uh, they recently just put Riley Smith in there, uh, so yeah, they're, they're very injured, but even if everyone was healthy, they'd have, uh, like, they'd be, um, they'd be um, in cap hell or they'd be over the cap um, by a certain amount. So we all knew that Vegas was going to make some type of trade uh, to clear some cap because um, in order to get all those guys healthy um, or playing in the regular season, uh, then um, they, they would have to make some trade to, to clear some cap. Um, and they were going to do that. Uh, they were going to send... Um, Evgeny Dadanoff to um, to the Anaheim Ducks, um, and I think the and they were also sending the Ducks uh, for a second round pick. I believe Ryan Kessel was Ryan Kessler was going to go back to uh, Vegas, and I think there was like another piece involved. Um, yeah, but, so um, I actually have the trade uh, deals okay. here. Before sure. they got erased. Sure, sure. So, Evgeny Dadnov, who has one year remaining on his contract after this year, and I think it's a $5 million cap hit, um, that would go to the Anaheim Ducks, in theory. Along with the future second-round pick, it was either in 2022 or 2023, or 2023 or 2024, depending on the conditions with the Jack Eichel trade. They were still waiting on that. Yep. The results on that. And then Vegas would get John Moore who was involved in the right. Hampus Lindholm deal with Boston, who has another year left on his deal. I think his cap is like $2.75 million, yep. along with Ryan Kessler's dead cap contract, which expires after this season. So those were the conditions of the trade. Vegas would get John Moore and Kessler's contract. Anaheim would get a future second-round pick on top of Dadnoff. So that, imagine this. A top 6'4 guy that you probably didn't utilize correctly – you're throwing in a future second-round pick just to get rid of him yep. while taking on a depth defenseman that you're not really sure what he's going to be on your team and a dead cap contract. Like, even if this trade was implemented, I don't even know if Vegas would have won. No. So, well, yeah. so so here's anyway, the those thing. Are the, those are the conditions there. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, the, the thing is, well, first off, we're going to talk uh, more about Vegas' situation Next week, we were planning on doing it uh, yeah. a so couple weeks ago. That's the main topic is, yeah, yeah. So, um, did, did Vegas spend too much of the casino yeah, and yeah. pay for it? So, so we'll definitely uh, mention this um, after, you know, we're, we're going to go more in depth on everything Vegas next week, but uh, we thought it was going to, we were going to mention this just because it was like a big story, or the biggest story after the trade deadline ended, because what ended up happening was that this trade ended up getting voided. And what happened was that, uh, so when Ajadanov originally was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights, he had a 10-team trade clause. 
Um, and no trade clause. No trade. Should yeah, specify 10-team no trade. Yeah, a lot yeah. different than a 10-team trade. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes no sense. Which yeah, would yeah. have really screwed Vegas if it was a 10-team trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I guess the, 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 those do exist, yeah. Um, so, uh, but one of those teams uh, in that trade was the Anaheim Ducks. Um, and uh, so then, uh, uh, for whatever reason, I guess... Vegas just didn't even know. Maybe they didn't know. I think they would have known. It's it's still unclear about if they knew or didn't know. Um, but uh, yeah, so they end up. Uh, but uh, what ends up happening is um, so they try to trade it, then it goes through. The NHL somehow approves it, and they and then uh, Dadanoff just says, "Wait, uh, the Ducks are on my no trade list. Uh, don't you see like all that stuff?" So apparently, what happened was Vegas didn't even mention it. Mention, uh, go to, up to uh, Dadanoff saying like, "Oh yeah, you have this uh, no trade, uh, ten team no trade uh, clause. Uh, so do you want to submit your list? Because uh, I guess that's like the protocol thing to do. It's also a nice gesture um, if it's not required. And um, and yeah, they they just didn't do that, which is funny because it's like. Any, if anyone looked at no um, at cap friendly, they could see that this guy has a ten team no trade clause on his uh, on his contract. So now Vegas claims that Ottawa apparently didn't tell them that it was yeah. still active when the trade was made, which right. is a which is a very massive case of said sickos. Right, 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 right. <laughs> if Ottawa did Vegas like that, right, but right. Again, right. also you could have asked Dad now. You could have asked his agent, and yep. you could have checked out friendly. And right yeah, there. yeah, it's all right there. Anyways, I'm like, yeah, there, there's a couple of uh, things that are kind of in fault at fault here. Um, yeah, the Sens, I guess, could have disclosed that, um, or all that stuff. I feel like the NHL should have, like, like, uh, like, they shouldn't have approved this trade because they could have just been like, wait a second, uh, Dadunov has a 10-team no-trade list and the Ducks are one of those teams. Um, and, of course, it's like the, the Golden Knights are at fault just because it's like the the Golden Knights uh, didn't even bother to to, to tell Dad enough that he's being traded. Um, and not only that, that he uh, he gets to um, trade, uh, you know, that it's one of his teams that's on his contract. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely um, a weird... Um, uh, so, yeah, it's definitely kind of strange... I do kind of feel bad for Dadanoff just because he, you know, because this isn't, um, you know, it's just like, it's basically just making it public that nobody wants him um, and all that stuff. Um, and I, I can understand, I guess, now that the Ducks are back in rebuilding mode that he doesn't like want to like re-change his stance on going back to the Ducks. But what is funny is that... Uh, since like in the last week or so, like Dadanov's been one of the hottest players in the league. Um, I was just looking at this the other day. Uh, let me just go back and uh, I'm stalling. I'm stalling. Let me stall just a bit more because uh, he had he's on a five game point streak. Uh, he had two goals against Florida. I guess this was before the trade deadline. Uh, so he had two goals against Florida. Then he had one goal against. 
LA, then he had a uh, then this is when the trade like the first game from the trade deadline he had a goal and two assists and then uh, on Saturday he had a goal and an assist against Chicago. So, so yeah, he's been he's been a really good player for De- uh, for Vegas right now. All of a sudden he's just getting really hot. But like on the, in the moment when he um, he stopped being like uh, like you know when it was public that he uh, the Vegas wanted to trade him away. This is when he starts getting pretty good, uh, getting pretty hot. Um, in that sense, so it is kind of funny, but yeah, it's um, I I think it's a it's a weird situation. I don't think this has ever really happened ever before, but it's just strange too. It's like okay, so you couldn't get a dad enough off of the contract, and that was the main reason why they did that trade to begin with. So I totally get it from that perspective, but um, but at the same time, you're you're just thinking like. So they didn't make any other trades. Like this was the only one that they were going to make was to get Dadanoff off the team as a cap dump move, and um, and uh, nothing was like uh, like they weren't going to trade anyone else. Um, like what? Like what's going on? Like that I that part I don't understand. It's just like they didn't make. Like even if they did get that enough off, they still would be in cap hell, um, and over the cap. So, so yeah, I, I I don't understand what Vegas was doing, and I get that it was a bad trade, um, anyways, because that's what cap dump moves are already made for. But yeah, it's just um, but yeah, it's, it, it was just a crazy trade. Yeah, crazy non-trade. Um, Crazy non-trade, yeah. Let me point out that Jack Eichel was traded to Vegas in November, and they had until then to figure this out. Yep. Which is part of the reason why this is mostly Vegas's fault. It could part of this could still be on Ottawa's, and I don't think Ottawa's squeaky clean either. They might have mm-hmm. to double back and ask some questions, uh, answer some questions from the league um, as to what the heck happened here. Right. Uh, but if there if there is an email there that proves either side, yeah, didn't like uh, for, did or did not verbally state, hey, he has a 10-team uh, no-trade that's still in effect, just an FYI. Uh, that could look really bad for either side uh, from the optics standpoint. But given Vegas's track record, they're mostly in the bad spotlight here because this isn't the first time that uh, front office or their PR department has uh, taken a lot of flack for a trade that did or didn't happen. Um, and I'll get back to that in a second here. Um, first of all, when Dadnoff submitted his no-trade list, like, he um, is very adamant that he did, and he filed the paperwork correctly, and it appears the NHL side with him. Trevor Zegers wasn't this good. And yeah. by this good, I mean, like, this well established in the NHL, like, oh, man, this kid is going to be the ne- one of the next stars. You're going to love to be on his team. Yep. And you know what? Maybe this offseason... He gets dealt to Anaheim for real, and he's okay with it. But that's not what the legalities, the paperwork says. The paperwork says 10-team no-trade, Anaheim's on the list. That was the latest list. we got to follow the list. And apparently, um, I realized this for the first time, you can trade players after the trade deadline. Yep. But they can't play for the rest of the year if you do that. 
So they could send Evgeny Dadanov to wherever, but he can't play any games for the team he's traded to until next season, which I think is very, very unfair to the players involved. And it's the same thing for whichever player is part of the return package right. uh, going to Vegas. They can't play any games for Vegas. So yeah. if this trade went through, it would be even more of a lose-lose situation because Anaheim doesn't have Dadanov, and um, Vegas can't use the depth defenseman that they were hoping they would get. Well, no. Well, to, to, for the record, they were only making that trade just because uh, of cap, like cap friendly. They because uh, of cap reasons. They would probably not use John Moore at all. Um, they were only using it for cap reasons, for sure. That would be the main reason why they even involved Ryan Kessler, because then they can move things around so that they have... Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Kessler, like, he's never playing a game. Yeah. So, like, they'll just stash him on LTI or no problem. But right. if their defenseman is banged up, they might have to use John Moore. I guess that's true, yeah. <laughs> and they no, might have the cap true. space to do it because they're stashing that cap space on IR. Yeah, I guess um, that's a good point. But, yeah, I, I felt like this but, was but definitely right. more if of a cap dump. healthy, I don't know what John Moore does with Vegas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, you, I, 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 yeah, I, I guess you do have a point, but I, I, thought, I thought of this as, like, purely as a capped up move. I didn't even yeah. think that John Moore was going to play anything. But maybe that's because and, like the he, he John Moore like the Bruins were depleted um at defense um and we hardly used John Moore at that when that when that happened too. So maybe it's just my own bias. Anyways, so uh getting getting back to Vegas here. Yep. I feel like and again, I'm not taking shots at their front office, but I feel like some of their moves are like, shoot first and ask yeah. questions later. Like, we got Jack Eichel. Uh, well, what happens with the cap? Eh, don't worry about that. Right. We'll figure it out towards the trade deadline. And then you see them, like, trade Nate Schmidt for a third-round pick because right. they just want his contract gone because they just got Alex Petrangelo. It's the right. same thing here. They get Jack Eichel, and there's like, you had how many months to figure out, okay, um... Riley Smith, the TSM are during expiring contracts. Do we keep them or not? When, when, if they're not, like, when do we, when do we figure out a way to get through this? There are so many last-minute deals that got submitted all at once before 3 p.m. and this was one of them. Yeah. This is why you can't really rely on the NHL to be just this robotic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, transaction guy that will just sift through everything at once and there won't be any hitches. You need to have all your ducks in a row before the trade is made. You need to make sure who's going where, you need to make sure the player has approved it, uh, no trade and all that that's been approved, everything. The cap makes sense, Because yeah. if you allow on the, if you rely on the NHL to answer every single question, this is where mistakes get made. Now at the same time, the NHL, I think, kind of made some of this mess themselves and the reason being, the waiver wire that was step one the waiver wire as most people have known in the past trade deadlines was at noon that day three hours before the deadline noon eastern time the trade deadline is three eastern time it was moved to 2 p.m yeah which means if you put a player with a big cap hit on waivers and you're expecting someone to pick them up and then they don't like uh, the leafs when uh, arizona decided to go with harry satiri instead of beer you get situations like this where it's like, oh, uh, that cap hit that we were hoping was going to get claimed didn't get claimed. What do we do now? And right. you have an hour to figure that out. So hopefully this is a sign that the NHL needs to change how they go about trade deadline day. And 
A lot of people have been saying, no games on trade deadline day. I think that's an easy step one to fix it. Step two, waiver claim is back at noon, and the trade deadline is extended to 5 p.m. Eastern time. So you give teams enough time to realize, okay, what's our plan, and do we need to change course really, really quick? Because that influences the entire trade deadline. If you're going out big fishing for some guy and you're hoping the cap space is there on a waiver claim, and all of a sudden you're stuck with that cap space and you're just like, okay, we kind of need help here. We need more help than we realize. Crap, what do we do? It, it, it helps get rid of sticky situations like this, or at least it limits the odds of this happening again. Right. So the NHL needs to own up and make some changes in terms of how trade deadline is processed, et cetera, et cetera. And the daily goings on of that. Yeah. Most of this relies on Vegas because they had so much time to figure things out. They left it to the last minute and they got burned, plain and simple. Yeah, this is definitely on Vegas. It's also like, I mean, we'll go more in depth, so I don't want to go talk about this even further. But but yeah, it is crazy too because this was the same organization that uh, like uh, didn't tell Eric Halla that he was getting traded. Uh, this was the same uh, team that like fired Ger- Gerard Gallant for unknown reasons. Um, so like uh, this is a t- like this organization has had now like even though they're like this is their fifth year in the league, uh, they now have a history where they don't necessarily tr- uh, treat their players the way that they should be treating their players, um, and they're kind of turning. Yeah. To the Mark Andre Fleury stabbing right. through the back. Oh yeah, yeah. Walsh right, right. Mark, uh, they the they stuff. trade Mark Andre Fleury for. Uh, I mean, I guess that one I can understand because it's like they end up getting Robin Leonard. Um, and, and again, yeah. another case of asset management. You trade yeah. a defending Vezina goalie for right. a prop that most of us haven't even heard of. Right, right. <laughs> and only that prop. And, and, and now. By the way, the Eric Holla, the Eric Holla stuff. Yeah. It was his weekend wedding in Vegas. Yep. They told him to come into the building because they wanted to talk. They voided his pass so he couldn't get in, and he needed help from security right. to get in. And then when he gets in, he finds out he's been traded. Right, right. Uh, that's right. I forgot the full story, but I, I basically did but, a but yeah, just adding thing. to your point there, yeah, yeah. the PR nightmares, uh, they haven't stopped yet. Yeah, and, uh, and not to mention, like, the fact that, like, what's funny is, like, they end up getting, like, Jack Eichel, who just, like, hands <laughs> the Sabres. Um, uh, you know, ended up treating uh, Jack Eichel unfairly, and now it's like <laughs> I can't imagine what I would be like if I was Jack Eichel right now. Because now it's just like, this is how you treat your players. Um, so, um, so yeah, th- this is kind of a big mishap, but it is also kind of fitting that like, of co- like Vegas on the same token, like Vegas has made the playoffs all five years. Um, and, uh, you know, they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, I wouldn't say all five years. They're in a playoff spot right now, but that could change. Right, right. The first four years, they made it, and they made it to three conference finals. Right, it's still yeah, pretty yeah. good. Fair, but fair. Again, at what cost? Right, right. At what cost? But, like, um, but, yeah, this could definitely be the first year where, and we'll talk about, this is a good, like, uh, get you guys interested, tease to the next week, because, uh, yeah, it's very possible that they won't make the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, this is, like, the first... I mean, yeah, they've had other issues, too. Like, remember Vadim Shipachov, who they ended up getting from the KHL, and Shipachov wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, that was a 50-50 thing where I'm not really sure that the player was, like, 
putting in all the really time and effort. There, yeah. But uh, yeah, at the time we didn't really think of it as a Vegas problem, and then all right. the other stuff happened. You're just like, well, maybe, maybe this that's is not a point here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it is kind of like, like I can understand. Like, uh, what's interesting is, is like, like I've because uh, Victor, who's a fr- uh, podcast friend of ours, you know, he's a Sharks fan. Um, he hates Vegas, like with a passion. Like it's his least least favorite team. Like as much as I hate the Habs, he hates uh, Vegas, and um, which is it's like impressive just because it's like like Vegas has only been in the league for a couple of years now, um, which I yeah I understand that they've been successful, but it's just so like I, I guess my point is is that like this is like the first actual. Um, F up. I, I don't want to swear on this podcast. Um, yeah. That um, that they've had that it, it feels like every other NHL team except for Seattle has had a big like mess up um, yeah, in, like, in the like league. So this is this we, feels like seen, yeah we've seen the Sens mess up a yeah. bunch of times. And the Sens one time where, where, I, where I heard they're close to trading yeah. for Gary Roberts for their playoff run. Right? Yeah. They sent the facts to the wrong address. Right. And by the time they realized the deadline had passed and they yeah. had no Gary Roberts, and yeah. that probably cost them a Stanley Cup. And, and so, this... <laughs> you know what? Every, every team goes up, congrats, Vegas, you're one of us now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and the Sens are kind of involved in this story, too. So it's like <laughs> the Sens are... involved, yeah, yeah. kind of. The, the Sens aren't, like, 100% clean in this whole thing either. But, yeah, it's just... Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's true. This felt like a welcome to the NHL moment for for Vegas um, right here. Um, okay, so now we're going to the next trade here. Uh, the Rangers end up getting Andrew Kopp. Um, and so the, the full deal is, is that Andrew Kopp and a 2023 sixth-round pick uh, from Winnipeg uh, goes to the Rangers. And then Winnipeg gets Morgan Barron. A 2022 second round pick, uh, which is a conditional, and I'll get to that in a second. A 2022 second round pick from St. Louis, that's conditional. And a 2023 fifth round pick from uh, the Rangers. Uh, So that Rangers second round pick is conditional. It'll upgrade to a first if the Rangers win two playoff rounds and Cop plays 50%. Um, And then that St. Louis conditional is uh, Winnipeg Jets have the option of a 2022 second, which is originally St. Louis's pick or the Rangers 2023 second round pick. Um, so I guess they have a choice if they uh, so choose. Um, and then of course the fifth round pick. So this this is quite a lot for a middle six player for, for the Rangers. But on the other hand, well, first off, um, you know, Andrew Kopp's a pretty good player actually. Uh, he had 35 points in 56 games this past, um, you know, for Winnipeg. Um, and that's uh, and in previously uh, in the bubble he had or you know last year uh, he had 39 points in 55 games so that's like roughly like a 70 point pace um, in a full season um, of course that was his uh, first big season um, and then this year yeah he was he's proving that he can be consistent with it um, What's, what's really crazy, though, um, is that he played three games for the Rangers this week, and he has five points already. Um, so that, that's pretty insane. He had two assists against the Devils, and then he um, had a goal uh, against Pittsburgh, and then he had two assists again against Buffalo. 
So, so far it's working out for the Rangers. Um, and yeah, I, I, I know this is like, maybe this is, it's a little different cause it's like, it's still a lot of picks. Um, and it, it kind of reminds me of the Brandon Hagel trade that we just talked about a couple of our last week. But at the same time, like Andrew Kopp is a pretty good player. Um, or he, I, I, I can, I feel like he's going to be more consistent than Brandon Hagel's going to be, um, in the long run. But, but yeah, this is, this is a good deal for the Rangers. I feel like it's a good deal for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, Morgan Barron is, uh, yeah, he hasn't really gotten going in the NHL, but yeah, he's been decent for the AHL. He has 15 points in uh, 25 games. Although I guess, wait, I guess 15 points in 28 games because he played three games in Manitoba and hasn't scored in any of those games. But um, so, like, you know, we'll, we'll see what goes on. But um, also a fun fact uh, before I uh, bring it to you. Uh, so Morgan Barron's brother, Justin Barron, was also traded on the same day. Uh, the uh, Habs get Arteri Lekonen. And Justin Barron um, goes to the Montreal, um, so it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's been the first time that's ever happened where uh, two brothers get traded in, in subsequent t- trades, but um, but that's kind of interesting. But um, but yeah, what what do you think on this Andrew Cop trade? Well, uh, when you put him on a line with uh, Artemi Panarin and Ryan Strom, he's probably going to get some points. And five points in three games is definitely a good start. Only taking four shots, scoring on one of them. And uh, this is a guy that can play in uh, – that can eat up some minutes at even strength on the power play, on the penalty kill. He has five goals and 11 points shorthanded in his entire career. And with Winnipeg, he has uh, a goal and assist shorthanded uh, this season as well. Um, and also a little bit of a clutch player, too. He had uh, five game winners uh, in 2019-20 with the Jets. Uh, he scored 10 goals. So five of those 10 goals were game winners. That's pretty good. And this year he has uh, three of his 13 goals with the Jets. Uh, they were game winners, too. So a very serviceable guy that shores up their top six. Maybe you slot him on the third line as well. Um, I love what the New York Rangers did with the, with their cap space. Uh, we'll get to the broader uh, implications of this contract in a bit. But they get Frank Vitrano from the Panthers. They put him on uh, the first line with uh, Kreider and Zibanejad. Uh, Vitrano's on the right side there. Uh, they also add a guy like Tyler Mont uh, to complement the fourth line. Brzezinski is centering that line with Dryden Hunt on the right side. Um, and they and the Rangers really didn't uh, give up much uh, to get those pieces. Tyler Mott they got for a fourth in 2023. Um, they also got uh, Nick Murley, Merkley in a minor trade with the Sharks. There's another depth piece that you could slot into an NHL roster. Um, on defense, they got Justin Braun from Philly for a 2023 third. And Vitrano would only cost them a conditional 2022 fourth, um, which the condition for that is... Um, it's, it's which pick are they going to give uh, the Panthers, uh, their own pick or Winnipeg's pick. Um, so they're giving up a fourth round either way in that. Uh, so uh, if, in getting those names uh, not named Andrew Kopp, they didn't really give up too much on, on the draft board. They still have Lafreniere in the picture. They still have Capocacco, Philip Kittle in the picture as well. A lot of the, the young guys that they 
that they probably still think that they can build the youth movement around. They didn't have to give up uh, any of those guys um, except for Morgan Barron. And you look at Morgan Barron and you realize, okay, you know, that's that's still that's still something and um, conditional uh, pick that could turn into uh, something bigger um, is is also interesting. Uh, looking at the conditions of the picks, um, it uh, the first second round pick, the conditional second in 2022, that upgrades to a first if New York Rangers win two playoff rounds and cop plays in 50% of the games, at least. Uh, the second conditional pick in 2022, Jets have the option of either taking the 2022 second that was originally belonging to the St. Louis Blues or a second round pick from the Rangers in 2023. So the Jets get um, for sure a second, for sure a fifth in 2023, and they could get a first in 2022 uh, if everything uh, goes according to plan and the Rangers go in a deep run. So when I look at that and I also look at Morgan Barron and, and what he's done uh, before turning pro with the Rangers um, and his numbers in the AHL this season, and you also look at the guys like Cole Perfetti or whatever, this could turn into a trade where, for whatever reason, the New York Rangers get a very good player that, that really helps their team get better. But at the same time, Winnipeg, in terms of futures, also wins big. And a lot of that hinges on their development of Morgan Barron and what they do with those three draft picks. So for right now, I'd say the Rangers win this trade. However, I'm not ruling out the possibility that Winnipeg in the long term could win this trade because look how the Jacob Truba deal is aged. Neil Pionk has become a pretty good defenseman for them. And that first-round pick, they used to select Billy Hainola, who's a pretty interesting defensive yep. prospect for them, too. Um, so it, it's tough for me to say in the long term that the Rangers win this deal. A lot of that hinges on what they get for Andrew Cobb, if they're able to extend him beyond this season. But for the time being, he's just the guy they needed for their playoff run. So uh, in terms of teams utilizing their cap space to the best of their abilities, I really like what the Rangers did. It puts them a step, uh, maybe half a step ahead of the Penguins, uh, for sure a step ahead of the Capitals. And I don't know if it is enough to give them uh, a head-to-head series win against Carolina, let's say, but they're definitely in a better position uh, than the, what they were a couple weeks ago. So I had tip of the hat to Chris Drury and the management for the work that they did. It was some nice, tidy business by them. Yeah, I, I think this is one of those trades that could end up um, like being pretty good for both teams, um, particularly if those like picks are like those picks are um, are are definitely valuable, and it's a lot of them. But like Andrew Kopp is certainly going to help them with during this cap run. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think this is something that can work out for both teams. Um, and okay, so now we go to the next. Uh, trade, which is Ricardo Raquel gets goes to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks end up getting uh, Dominic Simone, Zach Aston Reese, and Callie Klang, and a 2022 second round pick. So quite a haul for uh, Ricardo Raquel, which makes sense because he's he's been uh, pretty good um, for Anaheim. Um, although like he he did have the uh, two years where he had 30 goals apiece. Um, and then he never really ended up um, uh, reliving those moments um, or even was anywhere close to getting 30 goals again. Uh, he had 18 goals uh, the next year and then he had 15 goals 
Um, yeah, so he's he's only had 30 goals twice, uh, but then he kind of falls off. Um, to be fair, he's been injured a, a few months of times, and the Ducks weren't necessarily a great team. So, uh, so yeah, he definitely hasn't been as good as we all thought he was going to be. But um, yeah, he's still uh, he's still you know he had 28 points in 51 games, 16 goals, uh, which isn't bad. So uh, so that's um, so that's why he was able to get quite a return uh, for the Anaheim Ducks. Um, he, uh, he's played in four games for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, he didn't get any points in, um, in that time, uh, in the first three games. Um, but then he gets, ends up getting three points uh, against Detroit. Um, and <laughs> that was a, that was a game where, uh, Pittsburgh beat Detroit 11 to two, where like only like two players on Pittsburgh ended up not getting any points. So, well, like, even still, it's impressive to get three points in a game. Um, even more impressive, and I'm looking here at, like, the time on ice, uh, he only had 14 minutes of ice time in that game against Detroit. So, uh, so just, uh, which is which is pretty funny or interesting from that standpoint. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I think this could definitely help the Penguins out a bit. It was interesting because originally uh, the Penguins had... Um, had Raquel on the uh, third line with uh, Jeff Carter and um, and Casper Kapanen, um, but uh, and they, which you know isn't a terrible line for sure. But I think if you're going to get a guy like Ricard Raquel, you want him on Malkin's line, or the second line, or I guess you know maybe on Crosby's line. Although it's hard to see Raquel surpassing Jake Ensel anytime soon. But, um, but yeah, you have a nice, uh, right now it seems like Raquel is on Malkin's line with Brian Rust um, as that right winger. So, um, so that, like, I, I feel like if you're going to get so much for Ricard Raquel, it doesn't make sense to just put him on the third line. Um, but uh, it turns out that Mike, uh, Mike Sullivan said after that game that, yeah, they're just seeing where Ricard Raquel fits into the lineup that's not a permanent uh, place that they're going to see him in. And I guess, yeah, they, they just moved him, and, and now it's made a difference. But, um, um, yeah, it's, it's just uh, – and then I, I believe there was, like, a Brian Burke mentioned that uh, they see um, Ricard Raquel being, like, a bottom six Swiss Army knife where you can just put him in, like – any position on the bottom six lines and you can make him work but uh which i guess you can and that's a cool thing about ricardo Kell is that he can be a left winger a center and a right winger but um but yeah at the same time um i feel like it makes the most sense to just have him on the top six line or that's how you can utilize him the best way um, and not put him on the, the bottom six line. But either way, it, it definitely helps the Penguins' depth. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a, a nice deal as well. Um, from the Ducks' perspective, I, I don't know if they expect too much out of Zach Aston reese and Dominic Simone. I know that they're decent defensive forwards, but um, I, I don't know how much they can really rely on them. But what's interesting is they also get Callie Kling, um, 
who was actually, he was actually doing pretty well for in the SHL for Rogel PK. Uh, he has a 9.15 save percentage and a 2.28 GAA in 17 games. He's also 10 and five um, uh, during those games. So uh, yeah, he's uh, so I I feel like uh, like in a few years, like Cali Klang is going to be like the guy. Um, in Anaheim, um, if that is, if Lucas Dostel um, doesn't end up becoming the goalie of the future, uh, but yeah, the Cali Kling, um seems like uh, he's he's going to be a pretty good goaltender. But of course, you never know with these goaltenders. But so far, he's been pretty good for in the SHL, um, and he's only 19 years old. So um, that's another thing to keep in mind. Yeah, so looking at the return for the Anaheim Ducks, it should be noted that both Zach Aston Reese and um, Dominic Simone are going to be free agents at the end of this year. Um, and just uh, taking a look at uh, some of the injuries that the Ducks are dealing with, Max Jones is hurt, Silverberg is hurt, um, Henrique is uh, day-to-day. So you're kind of getting an idea moving forward of who could be a good fit on this team and where they slot in. Like Simon Benoit uh, is playing on the first line with Getzlav, and yep. <laughs> the right winger is Gerald Mayhew, uh, which which kind of shows you the Ducks' second half in a nutshell. Right. I, I said wait till the second half. Uh, they, they might free fall, and it appears they're free falling again. Yeah. Um, Nevertheless, though, Zach Aston Reese is currently on the third line, the left side of the wing. Isaac Lindestrom is the center. Sam Carrick is playing on uh, the right wing. Um, at the moment, it doesn't uh, say uh, Dominic Simon uh, is, is on there, but um, I'm sure he'll get uh, plenty of chances to succeed uh, with, with the Ducks. They, they the say that uh, and, uh, I am on, actually looking. Hold on, hold on. Uh, they say that Dominic Simone is actually on the top line with Ryan Getzlav and Gerald Nehu according to cap friendly stuff. Okay. Well, that makes more sense then. So either way, you're going to see where Aston Reese and Simone could slot in uh, beyond this year if they decide uh, to keep one or or both or neither. Um, So the next couple weeks are going to be huge in terms of what Anaheim's going to be looking for after this season. Um, And again, this is is the kind of thing that uh, I was talking about with with Evgeny Dadnov uh, with the Ducks uh, earlier is that, you know what, maybe Trevor Zegers has changed the entire outlook of this offense, and they're, Anaheim's not as bad as, as people think. And yes, they've been bad in the second half, but yeah. when you look at a full 82-game schedule moving forward, I think the Ducks are going to be a much better team, and maybe one of those two guys, Dominic Simone or Zach Aston Reese, could be a top-six guy that you can lean on, yep. and that can put up some good numbers uh, with uh, Trevor Zegers. So I'm interested to see how the, those uh, guys fare. Kale playing is an interesting goaltending prospect uh, as well for the Ducks. Um, so I'm interested to see how that plays out. And they also get a second-round pick in 2022. That's the thing with the, with the Ducks is they've been uh, very keen uh, to load up on uh, those prospects and picks. Taking a look at uh, some of the trades uh, that they've made. So you yep. look at that haul, that's pretty decent for Kel at uh, – 35% retained for Pittsburgh. Um, they also have a pair of seconds they got in the Bruins trade uh, that sent uh, Hampus Lindholm uh, to the Bruins. Uh, they also get a 2022 first. So that's three seconds, 
2022, one in 2023, one in 2024. They also got a 2022 first this year. They have a 2023 third round pick as well that they got for Nick Delorier. They got a 2023 second round pick from Colorado as well. So that's another second. So that's four seconds there. They also got Drew Hellison in that Josh Manson trade. So they're, they're looking pretty good uh, in that regard. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, you look at uh, teams like Arizona and Seattle that also uh, stacked up on picks and prospects. Same with Montreal, too. Anaheim, I think, has that good blend of prospects, current young stars, and the, the future of those draft picks where they could turn into one of those teams to watch in a span of a couple of nights. It really depends on what they do this yeah. summer and uh, in the next couple of drafts. I'm really intrigued uh, to see their approach there. In the meantime, you look at Ricard Raquel and the Swiss Army Knife quote that Brian Burke mentioned. Here's the thing about Ricard Raquel. I don't care what line he plays on so long as whoever's playing on what line is able to get points in playoff time when it matters. Because against the Islanders... Tristan Jerry was out-tooled by Elias Sorokin, who is fantastic in that series. You can't rely on Tristan Jerry to fix all of your problems. You need the offense to show up. And you know what the offense did for the New York Islanders in that series? It was pretty versatile. You didn't really have to lean on one forward in particular to get the job done because so many guys were pulling their weight at the exact same time and everyone pitched in, everyone contributed in their own way. And guess what? Pittsburgh's going to have to do that in the first round because if they finish as the second seed or the third seed, assuming Carolina wins the division, they get the New York Rangers in all likelihood. Uh, even the Washington Capitals, I would call them an easier matchup than the Rangers, but they're no easy out too because Alex Ovechkin is just deciding to put up godlike numbers in his late 30s because he, he feels like it, I guess. And they also have John Carlson and Nick Backstrom and Kuznetsov, who's had a pretty good year that they have a lot of weapons too to contain yep. and then there's that prospect of facing carolina in the second round too if if everything goes their way or maybe they get them in the first round of pittsburgh suddenly free falls goes to the fourth spot and they get carolina or maybe they get florida or tampa bay um if if they fall into a wild card spot they're probably going to get a very tough matchup in the first round it won't be the new york islanders but it's going to be a team that's very talented that's loaded with depth and is probably in a prime position to take Pittsburgh down. So if I'm Pittsburgh, I put Evan Rodriguez on the first line, on the second line, on the third line. I put Raquel on the first line, the second line, or the third line. Any holes, any question marks, any chemistry questions about the makeup of this team, I want answered when round one kicks off. Because you only have a game or two to right the ship before your season is done. And it could easily be done in the snap of a finger for the Penguins. So I like Mike Sullivan. I like what he's done. And he's been great with juggling lines. I hope he juggles as many lines as he possibly can in the next five to six weeks and sees what works and what doesn't work. Because in the middle of the series, he's going to need to go to that knowledge very, very fast. Or his team's going to be in a very tough spot. So I think... It would be ideal for Raquel to be a top-line guy, at worst, a second-line guy. But you know what? If you form a pretty solid third line and Raquel's a part of it, I really don't care. 
if Pittsburgh goes on a deep run and if they win the Stanley Cup, it's all worth it in the end. Yeah, I guess that's that's a fair point. I, I think if you do put Raquel on the third line, um, or even I guess the fourth line, and you know everything's working, you you know you can't really complain because everything's working. But at the same time, like the reason why you get Ricard Raquel, especially with that return, is you expect him to be on the top two lines. Um, so. Um, especially, and you only have so many years of like Crosby and Malkin being this good, so it's like another thing where it's like, well, like, and then if we like go into the future, and the Penguins don't win this thing, and then it's like, wait, why didn't we put Raquel with Malkin? <laughs> like that, that just feels like a. Like, well, you that's know, what they're doing right yeah. now. Malkin's on a Malkin, Russ, right. and Raquel is the second line. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. I, I guess, yeah, but, like, my point was is originally when they were just... I, I guess there, there's one thing of, like, yep. uh, a saying that, like, yeah, you're just testing where he can fit, but it just it felt a little odd to me where you're just like, well, obviously he's going to be on the top two lines, and if it doesn't work, then, yeah, you move him to the third line. But at least try <laughs> the first two lines. And there's, all, yeah. and there's also, I should point out, that Jason Zucker and Brock McGinn are currently battling yeah. injuries, so they're going to be probably True. in the next come playoff time, too. Fair. So, again, all the more reason to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Fair. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I like it for Anaheim as well. I think that, yeah, they had a, a good hot start, but I think, like, once they traded Hampus Lindholm um, and Josh Manson, I think they started to realize, like, okay, we're not going forward this year, and uh, they ended up just trading a lot of pieces, which is interesting because, like, I think they realized it before that because they were starting to slump before that's, those that's trades. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a fair point. Um, but uh, yeah, they, um, I, I think it's that's also interesting too, just from the standpoint of like, this is something that the Ducks should have been doing, uh, like a couple of years ago, <laughs> like when. Uh, so, so good on Pat Verbeek for actually doing what uh, Bob Murray didn't do, um, and actually just like getting something. Yeah, and and also, you take a look at the Ducks as well, and yep. how their offense has revolved around Trevor Zegras. Yep. They also have, like we mentioned, Troy Terry having yep. a good year. And I don't know if you've noticed, Adam Henrique has resurrected his career too. He yep. has, I think, thirty-one points in forty-one games, which yeah, honestly isn't too bad. It's not like. Ricard Raquel has been a key fixture of their offense. I mean, in the previous years he has, and even yep. in the years where he struggled to score, he was even getting like 180 to 190 shots a season. So, like, he was getting his chances. The chances haven't been as frequent for Raquel this year. Yeah. Um, and, and he's, you know, he's he's been, uh, he had chemistry with, um, with Zegers too. But, yeah, it's, um, or he was getting better for sure this year, so... Uh, there's may have been something like that. I thought you were going to talk about that. Uh, they have a prospect in uh, the system right now, Olin Zellweger, who's like making records now because he has 71 points in 50 games as a defenseman, um, which is just unreal. So uh, I, I think, like, I, I don't really follow the WHL, but I believe that's the most points out of a defenseman um, already, or it must be close. Um, so, so that's that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm checking the WHL network right now. <laughs> he's 19th um, in uh, the WHL, uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's the most. 19th and, in WHLs. Yeah, so he's basically just another forward. But anyway, we're getting sidetracked. 
Um, so anyways, <laughs> that's something to look forward to if you're a Ducks fan. Yeah, he's first in defensive scoring. He's first in defensive yeah. scoring, and he's uh, five points clear of uh, Clay Hannes, who's second uh, in yeah. defensive scoring. So, so uh, yeah. yeah, and he also has 30 power play points uh, for uh, the Everett Silver Tips, too. Yeah, they also have uh, Sasha Postrajov in the system, uh, Sean Churchill, um, I don't think I pronounced that right, um, and Mason McTavish as well. So, uh, yeah, they, they've all been uh, pretty good um, in their um, in their pursuit. So they have, a, they have a couple of prospects already, and they're probably going to get a, a decent pick this year, too, so... Um, so yeah, they're they're in pretty good shape. Um, okay, uh, the last one that we're, the last trade that we're going to talk about right now is uh, was actually a three team trade. Uh, Carolina gets uh, Max Domi. Um, hold on, let me just pull up the trade. So the, uh, Carolina gets Max Domi and Tyler Inamato, um, and then uh, Columbus the Columbus Blue Jackets get from Carolina. Aiden Hirschcheck, um, and the Florida Panthers, who retain 50% from Max Domi. Uh, they get Yegor Korshkov uh, from Carolina. Um, and, yeah, so that's the deal. Um, it is kind of interesting just from the standpoint that Florida um, and Carolina are in the same division. Uh, no, sorry, Carolina and Columbus are in the same division. Um, and, like, and all three of these teams are in the same conference. Um, so it's like when you usually do like a three, I guess when you do a three treat, uh, trade um, thing, like, you know, inevitably two of those teams are going to be in the same division or same conference. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, this is interesting that it's like three trades or three, these three teams are all in the Eastern Conference and two of them are in the same division. So, um, so yeah, that's definitely um, an interesting standpoint. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't think, uh, this is a interesting piece too. I, I think, uh, what's, what's interesting from Carolina's perspective, um, is really that, um, uh, like, yeah, there, it improves their depth situation, depth situation immensely. Um, and let me see here. Although, uh, like to the point that Max Domi, so he has 32 points in 55 games uh, so far, but uh, currently he's on the fourth line in Carolina. So that just goes to show how uh, crazy their their depth is, is that someone who had 32 points in 53 games, which is decent enough, especially for a Columbus team that doesn't score that often. Um, and yeah, you just you just put Carol, you just put him on the fourth line um, for for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, what's, what's interesting about Max Domi is he had 23 assists, nine goals. He's not really a goal scorer, I would, I would say, but, uh, yeah, 32 points in 53 games isn't bad, as I was saying. Um, and he was also doing that with 13 minutes of ice time in Columbus. Um, so, so now his, his ice time is going to be even less where he's getting 11 minutes of ice time. Of course, it's only in two games, and he hasn't scored yet uh, for Carolina. Um, so yeah, maybe they're trying to do a Ricard Raquel situation and seeing what they have. But at the same time, I'm, I'm less um, I, like I don't mind that they're doing it this way because like they didn't really give up that much um, for 
for uh, Max Domi. It was just Eden Hirschcheck, um, who they just drafted this past year, and uh, who knows how good he can be. And he's like a few years away. I feel like, I um, mean, even if he is as good as we all think he can, uh, as people think he can be, he's probably going to be a bottom pairing guy uh, for Columbus. So, um, so yeah, they didn't end up getting uh, too much out of uh, out of it, um, and it's like you know, it's a low risk, uh, high reward type situation. Here's the thing about the Carolina Hurricanes is I look at their roster and think, you know, Andre Sveshnikov, his point totals could be a little bit higher because I'm, I know he's more capable of that. Same with Thibaut Tarabainen, same with Sebastian Ajo, same with Vincent Trocek, same with um, someone like Jordan Stahl, maybe uh, Jesperi Kakaniemi. But they don't care because they're winning. They, they're getting points from everyone. They're getting points from Seth Jarvis. They're getting points from Martin Nekash. They're getting points from Jesper Fast. Uh, Nino Niederreiter, who's on the third line, I think has like 20-plus goals on the season. Yep. And that's the thing that Carolina has. They don't have guys on paper like, like for example, Nashville. Like, look at Roman Yossi's numbers in March. He's played 13 games, and he's got 28 points, and he's a defenseman. And you look at the numbers that Nashville has, you look at their top five scores, and you're just like, good God, they're straight up killing it. They've got much better numbers than the Hurricanes. But look who's got the better record. It's because Carolina's playing good defense. They're playing good team games. They're sharing the puck. Everyone's pitching in. And that's why Carolina is in the position that they're in right now. It's why they're leading a heavily stacked Metro division with the likes of Artemi Panarin in their division, with the likes of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Alex Ovechkin in their division, they're getting the job done with a team effort. And you know what? If Max Domi maybe need a writer struggles and you plug him into the third line with Jordan Stahl and Jesper Fast, and he starts putting up points and he, they become this HBK line like the Pittsburgh Penguins had when they won, won it all uh, in one of their back-to-back championships, right? It, it could be one of those situations there. And you know what? Worst case scenario, he's a pest on the fourth line that pisses off the other team, gets them into penalty trouble, and allows the Stars to do their thing. And again, Brett, like you said, the the only guys, the assets that were changed in this exchange in this deal, they're unsigned. They're like on the reserve list. So like they're they're just signing rights. Even Korshkov is on the reserve list yeah. um, at, at this point in time. And um, it, it should be noted that and I. Columbus is retaining 50% and Domi looks that friendly hat. The remaining 25%. Florida is retaining 25 percent to help Carolina by even taking like 1% of that cap hit. It, it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, um, that's beside the point. Carolina didn't really need to do too much at this trade deadline to get better because. Their roster has done more than enough to get them to this point where they're probably going to clinch the Metro Division at some point in the next couple of weeks. And they're going to the playoffs as a tight-knit bunch of solid units where the offense, where the offensive forwards and the defensive forwards have been pitching in. The defense has been all around solid. Uh, Anti Rant, I wasn't sure about his number. 
I feel a lot more confident with their goaltending, especially with the season that Freddie Anderson has been having. And they also have Rod Brindamore, one of the best coaches in the league, uh, riding the ship behind the bench. Um, and they and they have an identity more than anything. So the fact that uh, they made a trade of this magnitude, I don't think Carolina's in the situation where they go out and get this big flashy forward and give up a ton of their current assets because in my opinion, that would also kind of like mess up with the chemistry and also kind of um, it w- maybe would send a conflicting message to the, to the rest of the team that's like, yeah, you know, we, we love what you guys did, but uh, we're, we're making this big trade. And a couple of the guys that you've gotten to know over the past couple months are fortunately uh, being sent the other way. I think this is a testament that they're very confident in the group that they have built. They're ready to win with this group. They're confident they can win with this group. And they gave up a couple of like future assets just to get Max Domi on the team. And I think overall, it's it's the best of both worlds, where ideally you get a guy with some offensive pop. Like, let's not forget, Domi had 72 points with the Habs for one, for one season. This guy has some offensive potential that... I think has been rather dormant the past couple of seasons that Carolina, maybe if they put him in the right situation, they're able to get something out of him. And again, even if they don't, they get a guy that can really get under people's skin. So um, I, I think it's it's the perfect mix of offensive potential and identity. Um, and the Hurricanes don't really compromise anything in this trade. So I, it, it's not a deal that blows you away, but it's, it's definitely a deal that I can see um, the Hurricanes benefiting from, especially if they go on a deep playoff run. So yeah, I'm looking here. Uh, it seems like Max Domi has only had one really, really good year, and that was in 2018-2019 uh, for Montreal, his first year, where he had 72 points in 82 games, and then he just <laughs> drops off after that, um, where he had 44 points in 71 games, and then he goes to Columbus, where he had 24 points in 54 games, which is decent, but um, both those seasons are decent, but not like a 72 points in 82 games type thing. Um, and yeah. I, I also have noted, or I've, um, like people in the advanced stats community, I've, or people I follow on Twitter who are into that, um, they noticed that he's re- like really bad at defense. So, so maybe that's something that, uh, to consider for sure of like, um, so maybe they like he he could be getting more ice time, but if he was more defensively responsible, then he uh, he probably would be um, a, a lot better and be given more of those opportunities. But uh, because he he's not good defensively, um, you know p- teams are scared to do it. So I am curious to see if Carolina is going to like. Um, allow him give him more ice time just to, uh, or are they more panicked because like he they could uh be making a mistake by letting him not be as defensively um you know um appropriate or de- defensively uh, adequate enough to to do it and he could uh, mess up and and further ruin Carolina's chances I'm at a cup, so and you know what? This wonder. is the perfect time to kind of like mess with that because yeah. even if he makes a mistake, you got a lot of guys that sure. are back checking um, on. That's fair. When it yeah. comes to like forwards and defensemen, where like 
you can teach him the right way to play or like a better way of playing his game so that when it comes down to crunch time in the playoffs, when it does matter, you're willing to trust him more in those situations. And you can afford to gamble with those mistakes in the regular season because you have guys that can make up for whatever mistakes that Domi makes. So I, I think this is an ideal situation for Domi to kind of refine his game in certain areas and maybe it, it benefits his career moving forward. Maybe he revitalizes things. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, again, a low-risk, high-reward situation for the Kings. Yep, yep. Um, all right, so we do have some time left at the end of this show. Um, yeah. We thought that uh, the Bruins and the Sens both made a couple of minor deals. Um, I, I guess the Bruins, I guess I'll, I'll start first because we, we did talk about the Hampus Lindholm trade last week. Um, but they also, uh, I thought they would make one more trade or one more thing to do, but turns out they didn't. They did the opposite of that. Um, I thought Jake DeBrusque, if they were going to make a trade, Jake DeBrusque would be involved. But instead, they re-signed him um, for two years, four million. Um, and yeah, I, I thought this was like, this was meant to be, like they sign him and then they trade him somewhere else so then they can find him, like, so then like the team, they can get a higher value out of that because that's not a bad contract regardless of where so he goes. It's the offseason that could yeah. change their minds. But, uh, but yeah, according to uh, DeBrusque, he's still, like, and I thought, like, oh, maybe, like, why is he signing that? Because if he doesn't want to sign with the Bruins, he's doing the exactly opposite of that. So, like, maybe he changed his mind or something like that. Because that's not a bad deal uh, for Jake DeBrusque. And, uh, yeah, it turns out that he still wants to be traded. So, um, but, yeah, I guess the Bruins are still honoring that. But... Yeah, they signed him just to, I, I think it was just makes it more palatable so that, like, they can, instead of trading a rental, they're trading someone who has at least a couple of terms left or just, like, a bridge deal. So that's that's nice of the Bruins to do, but I can understand why that's a little bit confusing and a little bit disappointing, to be honest, as a Bruins fan, because I thought, like, this meant, like, oh, we could end up getting a Max Domi or uh, a Ricardo Kell, but... Uh, yeah, it looks it's like that's you could get like a Jacob Chikrin in the offseason and Russ yeah. goes to Arizona. I mean, that, that would be even better. But yes, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I, I think, I think the Bruins would have to trade more than uh, Jake DeBrest uh, in, to get Chikrin. But, um, but yeah, the, so, so there was that. Also, the Bruins and our Sens made a trade, uh, which is fun. Though these kind of hardly happen. I feel like the, a couple times. The Bruins and the Sens have made a couple trades, but, uh, but yeah, like last year when Boston got Mike Riley and eventually extended. That's right. That's right. That's a good point. Um, and of course they share Zdeno Chara, uh, Peter Shirelli as well. So, um, and uh, Chris. No, Kelly. you can have Peter Shirelli. That's fine. That's fine. All right. He's all yours. Well, yeah, I, we can we can share Zdeno Chara. Although I think at this point I we we'll share the early two thousands <laughs> Peter Shirelli. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're, we're both ashamed of Peter Shirelli at this point. But, um, although at least Shirelli got us a cup, so that, that's... Yeah, that's, he, he did win a cup. Um, and then after that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Chris Kelly's another one. Uh, and Zidane Chara, of course. Yeah, I'm fine. Um, Chris Kelly. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll share we'll share Chris Kelly. Anyways, uh, it seems like we're going to share Joshua Brown, because that's who comes back for the Bruins. And uh, Zach Senish- Senishin, uh goes to Ottawa. 
Um, apparently, Zach Sinishin, who, of course, is another one, like DeBrusque, who was that 2015 first-round pick. Um, and uh, instead of Thomas Shabbat or Brock Besser or Kyle Connor or uh, Matt Barzal, I could go on, Travis Konechny. Um, um, they, um, I think there's another one that I'm missing, but, um, but yeah, anyways, uh, yeah, he ends up going, uh, he just doesn't pan out in the Bruins, um, and yeah, he's going to Ottawa. I, um, I, I think he was another one who actually had a trade request and, uh, yeah, the, the Bruins were able to, to make this happen to this. I actually like this trade, or I hope Zach Seneshin, uh, gets his chances in Ottawa, uh, from just because I am friends with you, Steve, that it seems like he'll have some opportunity um, in Ottawa, so uh, which he probably wouldn't get in Boston. And you know, I honestly, I just I feel bad for Zach Sanderson as much as I, you know, I would rather have Kyle Connor. Um, I I think there is like you know, I, I you have to remember that there is that human element of it that it must be like so pressurizing that he's like forever linked to that moment in time where it's like so so i i just hope that like yeah i i I don't think you'll we expect him to be a brock besser kyle connor type player um but i i think like if you give him a chance then yeah i think he could be a decent depth player for uh, a team uh building their future so um, I, I think there is a chance for them. I just hope that he gets it. Uh, he is from the Ottawa area, so I, I think that there may be, like, that was also nice of the Bruins to, like, trade him to a, a team um, that's near his hometown. So it's, like, that's, that's always nice to, to see, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you look at the opportunities with Boston, and it's the key thing is the opportunities. Like, 2018-19, his first cup of tea in the NHL, he had a goal in two games. That's yep. it. No playoff experience, just the goal in two regular season games. Next year, 2019-20, two assists in four games. No playoff experience, just those two assists in four games. And then last year, zero points, eight games. Didn't see a single cent of ice time this season so he has 14 NHL games and three points. That's all he got with Boston. And I know the AHL numbers really don't give much of a reason for Boston to take a chance on him. Uh, his first year, 2017-18, he had 26 points, 12 of them goals in 66 games. The next year, 24 points in 66 games, 14 of them goals. Uh, the next year, 16 points in 42 games, only seven goals. Uh, the year after that, 13 points in 18 games, seven of them goals. And then this year, 31 points in 51 games, 19 of which were goals. So there hasn't really been much progress in the AHL to kind of warrant a promotion to the big leagues. But I think uh, chances are he's going to get a bigger opportunity to shine on an Ottawa team that isn't ready to win right now, but is able to give a guy like Saxon Ishin more opportunities to flourish in the big leagues. Um, so it wasn't that uh, Boston wasn't giving him a fair shot. It's just that Boston is in a much different situation than the Sens are right now. And he, he was just in a, in a pretty loaded depth chart. And there wasn't really much of a place to put him in the NHL lineup. So that, that's what happens to contending teams. If, if, you're, if, you're not, if you're not cutting the meat, it's, it's, it's pretty tough to really get much of a pack in anything. So... Um, really hoping for the best for a submission there. Josh Brown, I mean, 
I don't think he's in a position where like he can be utilized like he was in Ottawa and be a successful defenseman. I think he's a good third pairing guy that can provide a little bit of grit for the Bruins. Um, they also could upgrade that conditional seventh in 2022 to a six-year Bruins. If Sinitian plays five games with the Sens before this year comes to a close, so we'll see how that goes. And Ottawa gets a fifth-round pick in 2022 uh, for for this year, so they they get a pick. Um, in the upper rounds, basically traded up a couple rounds um, in the Sinitian deal. Uh, it should also be noted that uh, Sinitian at the end of the year is a Group Six UFA. Um, so yeah, uh, there's there's also that uh, to keep in mind. It, it's one of those minor trades that maybe, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But uh, I think both teams potentially gain something here, even if it's yeah. not much. Well, if we weren't fans of these teams, we wouldn't even be talking about this. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Sure. Um, yeah, and I, uh, I don't. Yeah, it, it's kind of fun. It's kind of funny because there was a realistic chance that, like, by the end of the trade deadline, the only guy left in the 2015 Bruins back to back to back was Jacob Zaboral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that would have been funny just for the memes. Yeah, I wouldn't have liked it, but yes, I I know that inevitably that's going to happen. Um, and yeah, also we got Thomas Shabbat out of that thing. Right. Bruins. Yeah, no, I, I was wondering if uh, Sinitian is going to ever, like, once he inevitably goes to the pro roster and Shabbat is healthy enough, um, I wonder if they're, they're going to mention uh, the fact that Sinitian was uh, picked ahead of Shabbat in that trade, uh, in that draft. But, and maybe he gets a 20 goal season. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. That'll be funny. Maybe it's the next thing to you to See, here's the thing: is like I really do hope that Sinitian makes it and, and figures something out, uh, but it, it will hurt just because it's in the division. Um, but you know, I, I I think like I don't really have high expectations for Josh Brown or this seventh round pick, or if it turns into a sixth round pick, who knows? But um, but yeah, it's definitely um. You know, it it uh, it could end up hurting, but uh, you know what? At the same time, I'm just like, you know what? I'm I'm friends with you, Steve. I hope the Sens do well as long as you're not. You can beat the Habs and the Maple Leafs. Um, if if Sennishin uh, actually ends up helping your teams and he becomes a a vital part of your core, which I guess there's a potential that could happen, but. Who knows? Um, at this point, you're also in uh, in the immediate future, um, maybe uh, ready to go on a deep playoff run or at yeah. least be a top three team in the Atlantic. Which, given what we thought was going to happen at the start of the year, is pretty yep. successful for the Bruins. So yep. there you go. Uh, all right. The Sens are still with it. Do you um, want to talk about the, the Sens way, moves? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about what the Sens did here. Uh, I'll run through. The trades real quick because I wanted to mention Nick Paul and Anton Forsberg yep. in those situations. So, sure. Ottawa gets Travis Hamanick, $3 million cap hit next year. He's a free agent after next year, so they got a bit more term. And in exchange, Vancouver gets a third round pick in 2022. Uh, I don't know if Travis Hamanick is going to be the answer to Ottawa's prayers. What I do know, he's probably a bigger upgrade than Josh Brown, so I can live with that. <laughs> yep. No disrespect to Josh Brown, but Travis Hamanick has been around in the league. He's established himself as a shutdown defenseman in previous years, and I think he's got uh, plenty more to give at the end. The only, the only so thing I, about... I uh, if I can interject here, the only thing about yeah. Hamanick is that apparently he didn't get along with any of his teammates in Calgary. Apparently, um, I forget which teammate it was, but someone someone in Calgary was asked like on the loss of 
Hamannick, and he was like smiling the entire way because he was just like thankful that he was gone, which is something you don't hardly you hardly ever see in uh, the NHL. So like someone was publicly happy that someone was gone. So um, <laughs> just watch out for that. There there's potential that he could end up not working out for you guys. Um, if he's a yeah, bad teammate. There, there's, there's, there's always that possibility, but I mean, if, if you've seen what happens with Sens players on expiring yeah, sure. contracts, even if Hamannick gets a good teammate and he does everything right, there's no guarantees that Ottawa yeah. keeps him and I'm just, just, I'm just, to, like, get I'm just saying, like, the, there, there are some red flags, apparently, so... Um, there are some red flags, yes, but um, at, at this point, the Sens are in a position yeah. where they can... Up- in a lot of areas and uh, that I it's, guess. It, it's worth the risk um and again like if, if in regards to the calorie situation maybe it just wasn't a good like chemistry fit in the locker room some guys fit better in other settings than in most settings yep and maybe maybe the maybe the sense could really benefit uh, from what Hamannick provides uh, as to whether or not he's a good teammate we'll see totally but, fair. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's that it could work out but totally fair. you're right there's risk it might not. Here's what I'm hoping does work out. Jake Sanderson, baby. Jake Sanderson has turned pro. He's no longer with the University of North Dakota. He spent two seasons with them. He signed his entry-level contract. Whether he goes straight to the NHL or to the AHL, I don't care. He's in our system. Yep. This is going to be fun, Brett. I'm really excited for this kid. Yeah, he should be good. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's that. Um, now, uh, Zach Sanford. Uh, speaking of guys... Um, getting traded uh, Zach Sanford and his two million cap hit going right to the Winnipeg Jets he's a free agent after this year um in the 62 games with Ottawa this year nine goals seven assists 131 hits as well only did that in 14 minutes 11 seconds per game I consider him a guy that provides grit uh, as well as a bit of depth scoring uh, on the bottom lines to a playoff team um so I think it's only fitting that the Sens kind of moved on from him because uh, he wasn't he could only do so much with this group um, and I think uh, he, he could do better on, on a playoff roster and Ottawa gets a fifth round pick which is uh, a little bit of a downgrade when you consider what they gave up to get him but anywho um, they, they do get a pick instead of losing him for nothing so there's that uh, then we get to uh, Nick Paul uh, 44.5% of his cap hits are retained by Tampa Bay uh, he is a free agent after this season Ottawa gets Matthew Joseph at uh, 737,000 cap hits. He's a RFA after this year. They also get a 2024 fourth round pick. Um, so it, uh, it should be noted that uh, Tampa is, you know, limited in what they can do with the salary cap. They also got Riley Nash in a small trade there. So they were loading up on depth however they could. Um, so I, I think Tampa's trade deadline was highly efficient when they when you consider the term they got for Brandon Hagel and Nick Paul and uh, Riley Nash. Yep. Uh, they didn't do much of anything else. In the meantime, Ottawa gets a nice young Ford that can provide some speed, a little bit of offensive potential. I'm intrigued to see what uh, Joseph can provide. Uh, in terms of why Ottawa didn't keep Nick Paul, you look at his numbers this year. 11 goals, 18 points in 59 games. So this was before the trade deadline happened. Only two power play goals, 131 shots on goal, averaging 17.22 per game, 37 seconds of power play time per game. Um, And that's roughly around uh, the points per 82 he averaged over the last two seasons. He had 20 points in 56 games last year, 
20 and 56 uh, the year before that. Um, and um, in, in terms of uh, hits, he's also been uh, pretty good as well. Um, his ice time has steadily gone up as well. It was 14.27, then 16.05, then 17.22. Uh, if you look at his penalty killing minutes this year, Brett's heading into the trade deadline, he was 17th amongst all NHL forwards in penalty kill time, 130 minutes and 12 seconds. In the previous years, he had, had around 119 minutes and then uh, just 24 minutes and 31 seconds uh, after that. So, or, or before that, I should say. So his penalty killing time has also gone up, mostly in line with Connor Brown this year. The Sens' final offer, reportedly, was $10 million over four years, so that's a cap hit of $2.5 million. Uh, from what I understand, Paul turned that down, the Sens decided to move on, and he goes to Tampa Bay. This is why I'm, 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 I am disappointed that Nick Paul is gone. I will uh, Let me reiterate that. I think he was a very good player, um, also one of the final remnants of the Jason Spezza trade, and he was a good foot soldier for the Sens for a couple of years. And I think he's absolutely earned the right to go out and ask for his pay because he's had a pretty serviceable season on a bad team. This is why the Sens didn't give him more than $2.5 million. It's because already the Sens have committed to Brady Kachuk. They need to pay uh, Josh Norris after this year. At the year after that, Tim Stutzla is going to need to get paid. And now that Jake Sanderson has turned pro, he's going to be on the list down the road as well. And this team also needs to bolster the roster in other areas. Nick Paul might be a first-line player on the sense today. But in a couple of years, as you start to add more pieces and the team starts to get better, what's his role going to be? And I say that because you look at the Vancouver Canucks with what they did with their bottom six forwards over the past few years. You look at what the Islanders have done with their bottom six forwards at times. You could argue that it was worth it for the Islanders. Um, unfortunately, injuries have cut up with them this year and they're not as good. In Vancouver's case, it's been an experiment that has failed on epic proportions in more ways than one. It cost Vancouver in the long term and it put them in a very tough situation in terms of cap space with like Louis Erickson and Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel. The list goes on. Ottawa can't afford to be that, especially in the Atlantic Division, where you're overpaying for your bottom six guys, and you're spending like $3 million on a guy that's on the fourth line, maybe is put on waivers. It's just not ideal for the Sens to be spending that much on their bottom six. So they really need to be stern with uh, the salary they give to the bottom six. Which is why I don't see it as, oh, here's Eugene Melnick being cheap again. It, it, this, this time it's different. Nick Paul is not Matt Duchesne. He is not Eric Carlson. He's more like a Ryan Dezingle type of guy where in the right situations, he's going to be a good player. But there's only so much that uh, Nick Paul can do on an NHL roster. And that's not to say if he gets $3 million, he's going to be overpaid. He could be a very serviceable guy. But he's not a dynamic guy like Brad Marchand. He's, he's not a guy you break the bank for. So um, I wish Nick Paul the best. I'm happy that he was here for his time in Ottawa. He did a lot of good for the community. Um, I hope he gets a cup in Tampa Bay. But if he was signed for $3 million, $3.5 per season, that would be an overpay for Ottawa, and it might not age well. 
So I, I can live with that reality that Nick Paul is no longer a senator because um, they, I, I think they would be really gambling there. I'm kind of shocked they didn't trade Tyler Ennis at the deadline. I thought for his size time and his point totals, he could have gotten something, but they decided to keep him. Same with Chris Tierney, although he's been injured and also kind of not really that effective. So they might lose him for nothing after the season. Who really knows? Or they bring him in on a cheaper deal. One guy they won't be losing, though, is Anton Forsberg. He gets a three-year extension at $2.75 million. A lot of people might think this is an overpay. But if you look at the underlying numbers this year, if this is a sign of things to come, this might be money well spent here. I don't know if you realize this, Brett, but in 29 starts, this was again before the trade deadline, he was 14-12-2 on a sense team record that was a good 10, 12, 13 games below 500. He had a 2.77 GAA and a 9.18 save percentage, even got a shutout as well. And uh, recently added to this record with an overtime loss against Florida. But heading into the trade deadline, with in games where he faced 40-plus shots, he was 4-2-0. And here are the teams that he played in that stretch. Toronto, once. Carolina, twice. He's really on Carolina this year. Minnesota, Florida, which is now twice, and Vegas. It, he did have a rough start in his first three, four, or five starts. There were games where he gave up four-plus goals. He's only surrendered more than three goals twice in 2022, he, uh, heading into the trade deadline, which is pretty nuts. Uh, in terms of shots faced, he's 26th in the league. Through his first 31 games, he had 939 shots faced. In uh, save percentage by goalies with at least 25 games, heading into the trade deadline, Brett, he was 12th, yeah. which is pretty good, near the top 10. You look at the names that were on this um, trade bait board heading into the trade deadline. The likes of Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, you had Miko Koskinen, Alex Georgiev, Braden Holpe, who was hurt, Carol Vamelka, Thomas Grice, even Craig Anderson on a cheaper deal. A lot of NHL teams in playoff contention, when they look at Forsberg's cap hit this year, which is 900,000, and he's 12th in state percentage by goalies with at least 25 games played, a lot of teams in a lot of situations could have called on Ottawa to get this guy, and Ottawa could probably have gotten a decent return for Anton Forsberg. However, there are three things why I think it was a good reason for Ottawa to extend this guy. First of all, we're not sure if Matt Murray is going to be healthy enough to play again this year. DJ Smith is very doubtful. He said it a couple weeks ago. He's doubtful that we'll see Matt Murray back in action this year. Also, Phil Gustafson, who showed signs of promise last year, has struggled mightily in the games that he's played this year. He's 3-11 and something with the Sens. I think 3-11-1 is his record. His goals against average isn't really that good either, which is a bit of a concern. And then there's also Matt Sogard's development in the AHL. You don't want to you don't want to mess with it. So if you're looking for a guy that can get you NHL experience, can get you wins, and keep your team in a lot of games, they had a good thing rolling with Anton Forsberg. I'm worried that it could turn into a Mike Hunnan 2.0 contract where he has a big year and then doesn't live up to it the rest of the way. But I'm hopeful it's different this year. He looks really good in the sample size that he had before the end till last season. Um, so I'm hoping at the age of 29 it only gets better for Forsberg from here on out. It's a bit of a gamble right now, but I'm hoping it pays off. Yeah, there, there's a couple of, like, I, I feel like the Senators made a couple of, like, minor moves, but they could end up working out. Uh, two two points that I, I do want to mention that you didn't mention. Uh, one, yeah. uh, when, uh, so 
Zach Sanford was involved in that uh, Logan Brown trade earlier this season. Um, right. And that was Logan Brown and a 2022 fourth round pick that they give up. And then all they get back in this trade uh, to Winnipeg is a fifth round pick in 2022. So essentially, um, I know that like, you know, this, that, that trade was in September, but, um, but essentially the, the senators get a fifth round pick for uh, Logan Brown and a fourth round pick. Um, if you like in transferative property, things like that. So, um, so in, in that sense, you could have done more um, than just a fifth round pick, but um, at the same time, it's like, I guess uh, it's more of a tell of how, uh, how good or how mediocre Sanford was um, in his time in Ottawa. Um, and also, I, I think Matthew... It should also be noted, by the way, that uh, fourth-round pick is conditional. Yep. Sens retain that pick if Brown plays in at least 30 regular season games this year for the Blues. He's played in 25, so uh, five more games. Uh, St. Louis would be a good play. Logan Brown, so we get that fourth back. That'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. That'd be funny. So that way like... we only have a fourth and a fifth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by getting Zach Sanford. That'd be funny if it's like, if they just... Um... Like St. Louis is just like purposely not playing Logan Brown just to yeah. mess with the Senators. Yeah, they, that's yeah. probably their plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also, I or, I, or they make them yeah. play like just twenty nine games, <laughs> right, games right. just to like add insult to injury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, you were so close, yeah, guys, yeah. but not close <laughs> Sorry. enough. Sorry, you needed one more game played. Right, right, exactly. Um, and then uh, I also wanted to mention that uh, Matthew Joseph is actually he could be a decent player for you guys. Um, I know that he had 18 points in 58 games for Tampa, but, um, but yeah, even like, you know, um, when he first got into the league, um, in the AHL, he had 53 points in 70 games. So that's not terrible, uh, in this for the Syracuse crunch. Um, yeah, it just, I guess it's like, and it's in, and I always, he was always noticeable in the playoffs for Tampa, um, especially last year where he had two assists in six games. I guess it's just the thing is, is that, you know, he, he's always just has a depth role, but um, yeah, I think he could be decent for you guys in Ottawa. Um, and, and you were mentioning about like the Nick Paul stuff and he was, you wanted a long-term contract. I think he's a pretty good player, but yeah, I understand what you mean that like he probably, he, if he wanted more and you know, you don't pay a guy who's probably going to be in your bottom six um, like that much. So I get it from that standpoint, but at the same time, like maybe he isn't like you know he's been playing at the in the top six uh, this year. So maybe if you see more of that, then maybe it is worth it. But um, but yeah, I, I guess I can I can see just I think at this point the Senators are in the the phase where they're like as long as you don't trade the actual core players. So if you don't trade Brady Kachuk, Shabbat, uh, break. Uh, Drake Batherson, <laughs> Drake Batherson, um, and um, like those four players, then I think you're in good shape. Or and Tim Stutzla, um, so five those five guys, you're in good shape. But other than that, um, like yeah, whoever um, whoever is interested in any of the other guys, then trade them away because there's no expectations this year or even next year. Um, but uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, 
Okay, so... I think if, I think if you're Eugene Melnick, though, in this lens, at, at the same time, you need to be ready to spend money at some point, True. preferably this offseason or next offseason. Yeah. If they're relying on the young guys to get it done, it's not enough, you, especially in the Atlantic. You need more, you need reinforcements, you need to make signs, and you need to make trades to better the roster. And I think, again, that's also, like I said in the Nick Paul explanation, part of the reason why... It, you don't want to overpay for certain guys because you're going to need that money to get players that are, for the long term, short term and long term, going to help your roster win games. And if the Sens keep setting up a defense like they have the past couple of years, they're going nowhere. I don't care how good Forsberg is. I don't care how good Matt Murray is. I don't care how good their forward group is. They need better options on the top four defense, and maybe Sanderson helps out with that. But even still, they need one piece maybe another piece to, to help shore up the third pairing and they do have some promising prospects um on the up and coming but they're going to need a couple of years uh, to develop still uh so th- th- this this team needs to at some point drastically improve from a roster standpoint or else it's just going to be the same mediocre below 500 type of stuff that we've been seeing lately and look where it's got them. Five straight seasons without a playoff appearance. And they haven't been mathematically eliminated yet, but it's only a matter of time. Yeah, I guess that's a fair point. Yeah, you don't want to wait too long because then you start wasting, ruining, uh, wasting Brady Kachuk's years there. Um, but yeah. And I, also pissing off the fans even more, which they've sorry. already done. <laughs> that's true. I, I guess my, my point was more that, like, at this stage, you're just you're trying to. Um, you know, just build a core and and see what you have uh, with any of these guys, and hoping yeah. one of these guys that you end up getting, if it's Joseph, if it's um, Sinitian or you know whoever, like okay, that's fine. But like if if you feel like okay, let's say that Sinitian or Joseph uh, actually do pan out, then yeah, then you can start to trade them and uh, get something for them in return. Um, so that's also definitely something possible as well. Um, but of course, like those, those guys have to pan out. So it's easier said than done. Um, all right. That about does it here for us here at Lace Them Up. Our, uh, Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. And I'm Steve Elser. We'll talk again in episode 314 of the Lace Mup Podcast.